for scripture reading. All right, 1 John 1, 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Amen. You can be seated. We'll dismiss our school-age kids to go back with uh, Mr. Jason back there. And as they're doing that, let me invite you to turn to First uh, John. As you heard, that's where we just jumped in. <clears throat> if you've been tracking with us, we've, been, uh, we've done a series uh, for seven weeks called Above and Beyond. And uh, the whole premise was we serve an above and beyond kind of God. And he wants to do above and beyond kind of things in our lives. And so uh, we really dove in. Uh, you still have some of the paperwork uh, there and today we're going to conclude uh, our service today uh, after communion with uh, with our first fruits offering and um, our first fruits offering this is uh, following the biblical model of first fruits we're not an agrarian society anymore so maybe that's really not a thing but uh, after the harvest or after their first harvest not even knowing what the entire harvest would be but after their first harvest uh, they would give their first fruits their first and best back to God uh, we're going to do that today towards this new opportunity we have to actually build a physical space. Um, we've been a mobile church for 11 years, and we've bounced around to several places. Um, and uh, through this miraculous work of God, we have secured um, <clears throat> land well, well below its uh, value. Well, we paid for it well below its value. Um, just God has just worked some incredible things. So uh, that'll be at the end of the service. Uh, Jason will talk more about that um, in, in a little bit. But our normal rhythm as a church is to walk through books of the Bible. And so uh, we're starting um, the letters of John today, the epistles of John. <clears throat> of course, that was written by the Apostle John, one of the disciples who's closest to Jesus. Um, you know, the Gospel of John we preached through uh, last year, and uh, we spent almost an entire year on the Gospel of John. It was so rich. Uh, I learned so much and really loved uh, that Gospel. And so the Gospel of John was basically um, evidence that you would believe that it's true. And the letters of John is the assurances in your life that you have real, genuine faith. That's what he's going to really get. Uh, and, and I love it because for a new believer, I normally always encourage them to read the Gospel of John and to read the epistles of John or the letters of John because it is just so uh, straightforward. <clears throat> First, second, third John um, are three different letters. Uh, people always ask, what are the three Johns about? Was it a race or something? And it's first, second, and third place. Uh, that's not. No, these are his letters, uh, known as their, their epistles. And uh, epistle just means letter. And John wrote this gospel and then letters to the church. Mostly about the assurance, again, of salvation. Interestingly, most of the letters in the New Testament have an intended audience to the churches in Galatia, Galatians, to the, churches in, to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians. This does not have the intended audience. John wrote it to everybody <clears throat> because everybody needs this great reminder. 
The book of 1 John is all about assurance. John is concerned in this letter to help you identify the signs in your life that the gospel is true and you can experience, your experience with God can be genuine. Now let me give you just a quick warning. Um, John is kind of all over the place. I don't know if you, um, uh, you have a friend like this who just likes to chase rabbits. And it's not so much them chasing rabbits. I think their brain just moves so much quicker than mine. Uh, and they're like, you know, uh, A, D, C, F. They're just all over the place. If Paul would have wrote this letter, it would have been very linear. A plus B equals C. And you kind of know how he laid, laid it out. But John's not going to do that. John's going to get in and he is going to cover about seven different themes and he's going to cover each of them in every chapter and he's going to mention uh, one right after the other and then skip to the fourth one and then back to the first and then we see number seven again. And so <clears throat> let me just set up what these themes are and then we'll dive into our passage today. First, his concern is that believers walk in truth. Truth is a major concern of all of the letters of John, even the Gospel of John. Truth is intricately intertwined with all the other themes. For example, he says in verse 10, Those who reject the truth are not able to love as God loves, nor are they able to know the love of God. This idea of walking in truth. <clears throat> this is like a, this is a, a, a Hebrew term or Jewish term. To walk in something means to make it your way of life. So to walk in truth, the centrality of love is a second theme. It's a major theme. Some might say the, one of the greatest. <clears throat> he says in verse 11, it's not possible to separate out uh, the love of God with truth as we just talked about. For instance, in 2 John, uh, writes, God's grace, mercy, and peace will be with us in truth and love. Talking about how this idea of truth and love go together. Then thirdly, fellowship with God. This issue of our relationship with God dominates uh, 1 John. We're going to talk some about that today. Fellowship with God, fellowship with each other. For John, the ultimate goal of believers' existence is fellowship with God. In him, true life is found. Being in him is what it's all about in the end. Then the fourth theme of sin and forgiveness. Central to belonging God and being called his children is the forgiveness of our sins. And the assurance, he talks about that in chapter 1, verse 9. Then fifthly, assurance that you may know you are his. He says this several times. I write this, that you may know this assurance that God is really working in your life. All of us may have that question from time to time. Is our faith really genuine? Is it deep enough? Is it placed on the right things? John gives his audience and us this assurance then uh, six things showing hospitality for John hospitality is both theological and pastoral it's the outworking of truth and love and then the seventh theme and we could probably name a few more than these but the seventh major theme is to imitate the good this theme of imitation finds its echo in John's other exhortations to walk in the light to walk in love meaning this is the way that we should live our life what I love about it, if you've read it before, is it's kind of grandfatherly in tone. It's like a grandfather pastor. Maybe some of you had a grandfather who was a pastor or a grandfather who really loved the Lord. And from time to time, maybe you heard his sermons around the dinner table or his encouragement when you were discouraged. 
and he, like a good grandfather, just put his arm around you, knowing the situation you're in, he would just speak God's truth. He would remind you of God's truth. This is what it feels like as we read this. His audience had faced a lot of difficulty, a lot of persecution. They were scattered all over the place. Because Christianity was, as a religion, after the crucifixion of Christ, things got more and more hostile. It became kind of outlawed. Uh, Nero, the emperor that took over, began to really persecute Christians. If you were known as a Christian, uh, you were put for entertainment uh, into the Colosseum where wild animals would tear you apart as a competition. Uh, he would put you on poles to light his garden parties, cover you with tar, and then light you on fire. Uh, it was, if you were a Christian, it was difficult. And so John's writing to these, letter, these letters to these people who had been pushed out of the city because of persecution. They were likely living in the desert, in caves, around the Dead Sea, other places. And then to add uh, insult to injury, a big group of the church began to preach a false gospel. That Jesus, Jesus wasn't really the Christ, and that he wasn't really in the flesh, that he was not incarnate. The whole thing we celebrate at Christmas, God coming in the form of the baby and being with us. They began to preach that that was just a, an illusion, that was just a vision. It was like almost like a hologram. He wasn't really here. And so a big group of the church that they had done life with and been persecuted with and done all these things separated and began to preach a false gospel. So John's going to address this here too. A lot of the book is just affirmations and words of encouragement for the community. Reminder that the nature of Christian fellowship is one of love and righteousness. That it had its origin from the beginning. That it's in the community. There's genuine forgiveness of sins. That we should walk in obedience following Jesus' own example. That we should walk in the light. That we should live a life of love. That we are members of the community. That we won't be ashamed at Jesus' coming. And that we may have complete confidence that God answers our prayers. Before we jump into the text, friends, God has been doing a thing in our faith family unlike anything I have ever seen. And we have been praying this prayer at 307 every day that God would bring dry bones to life. And that prayer comes out of Ezekiel 37, this vision that God gives Ezekiel of bones scattered in the desert. And they're just skeletal. And the bones attach to themselves, but they're just skeletons, if you can imagine an army of skeletons. And then God tells Elijah, uh, Ezekiel to speak to the bones. And God's breath breathes on the bones, and they become alive again. And I think it's such a powerful symbol for us, especially in America. Because we have a lot of Americans, just in the past 15 years, I've seen... A lot of Americans have a decent theology, like they understand who the person of Jesus is, and they might even believe that he came from the Father, and they believe in this, the skeletons there, but they, but they deny the Spirit's work, the Spirit's power in our lives, 
As Peter says that we've been given everything we need for life and godliness. That is the Spirit's work. That's what Jesus said to the disciples. It's better for you that I actually go so that the Spirit can come. And for the disciples, that had to make no sense. What do you mean, Jesus, it's better for you to go? Wouldn't you rather leave today with Jesus in the car with you and go to work with you tomorrow? But it's the Spirit of God that fills every one of us, genuine believers in here, any of those that have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Spirit goes with us and he wants to do greater works, Jesus said, greater works than the things that you've seen me do, the Spirit will do in the church. And we've been just praising God for some of these stories. I mean, salvations, people moving from death unto life, no greater thing to celebrate. A couple of weeks ago, we were able to baptize a bunch of those in the holy hot tub over here. That water was hot. You saw some of those kids getting in there like, whoa, what is, what is going on there? People surrendering their life to ministry. Literally trying to figure out what does it look like for me to quit my job and go into full-time ministry? Or what does it mean for me to kind of renegotiate the elements of my job so that I can use it as a platform for ministry and missions? Five or six of you are talking about adopting. We're going to tell some of these stories next week. In our celebration Sunday, just an incredible move of God. And I believe directly that that is in response to God's people praying. And I want us to continue to pray in that same line that God would really continue to move this prayer of spiritual renewal, that the church wouldn't be just a gathered group of skeletons that just stand there. No, we'd be filled with the Spirit of God. And participating in meaningful mission with God. Let me pray for us as we jump into the word. God, thank you for today. I just pray for your words. I pray they would stir our hearts. I pray they would point us to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're familiar with the gospel of John, 1 John starts off in a similar way by pointing the fingers to Jesus. All the spotlight is on Jesus. He says in verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard. Look at the senses here. Which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. Which we looked upon. Which we have touched with our hands. Concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and we testify to it. And proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. You might underline that word manifest. This is this incredible work of God. Manifests. God's presence manifests in front of them. That we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with this Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. There's so much in here, and we're going to try to roll through it. But basically, one, don't you you love that that God cares about your joy? That's what it says in verse 4, that that he's writing these things that our joy may be complete. It echoes the words of Jesus in John 15. My joy in you so that your joy may be full. You know, if we're not careful, the older we get, we just, we just get grumpy. I'm seeing this in my own life. Like, I'm the guy now that's saying, it's too loud. 
Why are you up past 10 o'clock? Like, are you, are you crazy people? Why are you sleeping in past 7, right? I'm, I've become that thing. You know, the things that you despise your dad for saying. And then they just come out of your mouth and you're like, whoa, I'm there now, right? I think if we're not careful, we become kind of grumpy in, this, in the Christian walk. And I'm not sure exactly why it is, but one of the reasons that we lose our joy is because we forget our identity in Jesus. That's what he says in John 15, remain in my love. That's why he says, so that your joy would be, my joy be in you and your joy would be full. Here, John reminds us of kind of the way that Jesus came, that he came in the incarnation is the word we use. He came in the flesh. God just didn't send another messenger to send us a letter from heaven. He sent his very own son, Jesus, the exact representation of him, Hebrews tells us. This is Jesus in 4D. Now, when we had our last uh, child, Hudson, uh, nine years ago, um, you know, you go, the ultrasound's like the big thing, right? You go to the ultrasound, and Ashley always tried to make really good friends with the doctor so we could have an ultrasound every appointment. She just did it, and it happens. So, you know, some people only get a couple pictures. But about that time, they were, they were coming in with these 4D ultrasounds. You remember that? Some of you may have had that, where you, it's not just like this weird picture. Can't they print better pictures than that, too? I mean, we send people to the moon. Really? You're going to give it to me on a film strip? That's what it kind of looks like? And then roll it up in a little, anyway, uh, like a scroll. Um, <clears throat> but they had this option, and it was like a kabillion dollars. So we couldn't, we couldn't do it at that point. But it wasn't like... It wasn't like just in the bundle, you know. You had to pay a lot of extra to get 4D, but you've seen some of these. They're incredible. You can see, you know, your entire baby's head and what they really look like. It's this incredible picture. And this is what John is doing for us. He wants us to be able to see Jesus in 4D. He wants us to be able to see him and sense him and touch him and remember him. Hattie's joining us. I love it. I told you she was running the, running the show today, man. It's just, it was the best. Jesus in 4D. This is that word manifest. This was life manifested, meaning that it was actually and physically real. John solemnly testified as an eyewitness. We have seen and bear witness and declare to you. This is not John saying, hey, this is another religion to follow. John is saying, listen, we saw him. This is no fairy tale once upon a time kind of thing. This was real. And John tells us about it as an eyewitness. And he tells us about the four ways that Jesus came. First, he gave us his presence. This is this great Christmas message. In Jesus, the creator God is fully present to us. No mere representative or prophet was sent from God. He was God in the flesh. If we had time, you could go back and read that phenomenal passage in Colossians about the supremacy of God. Or you can go back and read John 1, 1 through 15. It was literally God with us. There was so much mystery as to who God was. Again, in the Old Testament, the Jews were afraid to even mention his name. Every time God had come near in the Old Testament, you read, it's with, it's with fear. He scared people to death. His glory or his weightiness was so big and and so otherworldly that it would literally scare people to death. When he appeared to Job, he came in a tornado. Of all the things, that didn't seem real accessible. Not in like a cool evening breeze. No, he came in a, in a, in a tornado. 
When he appeared to Abraham, he came as this smoking furnace moving through the air. Or with Moses, this pillar of fire. Every time before that God had shown up, he came in ways to instill fear. When he's given Moses the Ten Commandments, remember he's up on top of the mountain, all the people are there. He says, listen, tell those people, don't you even touch a pebble on that mountain. They are not going to be able to handle my presence. And so this is how they related to God. He was a bit, he was, he was supernatural, yes. He was unreachable. And then he came. In the flesh, he didn't come as someone in a tornado or in a pillar of fire or in thunders in the cloud. He came as a person that you could go to school with or play catch with or go fishing with. He came as a, as a person. For the audience reading this who had been introduced to Jesus, their jaw would have literally hit the floor. You mean the wisdom in the logos of the cosmos came as a person? He made himself known. It says he made himself manifest. He came to give us his presence. But not just that. He, he came in humility. He's one of us. God takes the form of a servant and not that of someone who is going to come and be a tyrant and rule over you, although he could have come that way. But he pushes away all normal notions of coercive power and demonstrates for us to serve one another. He comes in love and humility. He reflects the true nature of God and tells us that that's the actual key to transform society. He says in chapter 3, verse 16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Do you see this sacrificial humility? And because of that, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brothers in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Does he even know the love of God? Little children. See, this is the grandpa coming out. I love it. Little children. Let, your, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. He came, gave us his presence, his humility. He came in proximity. It's the third one. God in Christ approached us. Not only in a way that we can understand, but a way that we can access. You know, if I hear the president talk on the news, he speaks in a way that I can understand, but, but not in a way that I can access. I can't just, just call him up and be like, hey, I, I wasn't really sure. What were you trying to say right there? We can speculate, but he, I don't have access. A way that I can understand, but no access. But no, Jesus didn't come just in a way that we could understand. He came in a way that we could have access. He, he lived in proximity. He not only called people to repentance and proclaimed the direct presence of God, but he was a friend to the outcast and lived in life of proximity with the last, the lost, and the least. This is what John says here, that we looked upon and we touched with our hands. You hear John saying it? I, I shook the dude's hand. I heard him snore. We spent many nights all just camped together there at the garden as we would go and do ministry. I saw him sweat. I saw him in agony. 
at the Garden of Gethsemane. He came in proximity. Jesus came into humanity and he did life with people and he walked the roads they walked and struggled with some of the same struggles. We're tempted by many of the same temptations, which is why Hebrews says that we have a sympathetic high priest, not one that doesn't understand, but one that's been in a very similar situation as you, to feel the pain of life, to feel the rejection of friends, to feel the sting of disappointment. This great God of the universe who opened his mouth and created everything, who Isaiah says that he, he, he measures the galaxies by the span of his hand. You know, we just got a new telescope in space, the Webb Telescope. And it's like a million miles out there. And they're hoping the pictures that the Hubble has shown us of our universe, the Webb is going to show us so much more. I was geeking out on that this week, just like, man, this is so cool. And some of the scientists think they're going to be able to traverse time and see the origin of life itself. And I'm like, well, this is going to be good. I don't know how that's going to go, but it's going to be just the face of God or something. I don't know. But can you imagine a God that big who numbers the stars in the sky, who measures the galaxies with the span of his hand, that kind of God, who opened his mouth and out came the sun? He comes in, in the flesh and puts himself in proximity with you and with me. That's what he says in verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. You may have heard this word before, that word fellowship, he used a couple times there. And he's going to use it several other times in the, in, the, in the letter. Is the Greek word koinonia. And it's different than our fellowship. Growing up, I always heard preachers describe fellowship as two fellows in one ship. And that kind of breaks down theologically. But it, it does kind of give you a picture of just dudes hanging out together, right? John wants us to have the same, this, this word fellowship is this like experiential knowledge. It's I've, I've seen him, I've touched him, I've done things with the hand, we've been fishing together. I've, I've experienced the glory of God in the person of Jesus firsthand. John's saying, now I'm testifying to you so that you can be assured that your faith in him is real. That we would have fellowship, koinonia, with the Father. But how? How can we? I see how John did it. He touched him and hung out with him. But how can we? Look at, look at the answer in verse 2. The Jesus that John touched and the miracles, the things that he had seen, that John observed were just a manifestation of the life of God, a life that you can share in right now. For example, in John 6, I was talking to uh, one of the kids' equipping classes about this. I read this passage this week. He multiplied the bread and fed the 5,000 or probably 15,000. But he explained that this was a sign of God's power to satisfy he would go on to say he's the bread of life and that all those that come to him truly will find satisfaction in him. Knowing him feels like a starving man sitting down to a seven-course meal. Can you imagine the food that, God, that, that Jesus multiplied right there? Have you felt that? Where your soul was empty and hungry and God showed up? It's a proof to you that God is real. St. Augustine would say, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Or in John 4, you remember this story? 
where Jesus shows up. This is the woman at the well, and he knew everything about this lady. All her dark and dirty secrets, but he loved her anyway. Have you ever felt like that? That God knows you perfectly? You ever had this sense of the love of God pressing on your soul, fully known, fully loved, no pretense, no need to hide, nothing to prove, no condemnation, just fully known and loved by Jesus. See, all these miracles were Jesus was showing us what it's like for the kingdom of heaven to invade earth. And they were just, they were just one of the signs. In Mark 4, Jesus is out to sea with the disciples. This terrible storm comes. You probably know this story. It's raging all around them. They're terrified. They say, you got to go find Jesus. And they find him. And they say, Jesus, don't you care that we're going to die today? And Jesus stands up and says, you remember, peace, be still. Has that ever happened to you? That you prayed and God entered your story and he actually stilled the storm in your life. Or even better yet, he gives you peace in the middle of the storm by showing you that he is in control of everything. I read a book during, um, I, guess, I guess it was a couple years ago, right before COVID started. And there's this little prayer in there that I love it that kind of recenters you on the power of God. And the prayer is, Lord, I give these people and these problems to you. I don't know if you're like me, but the problems seem to get darker and worse at night when I'm trying to sleep, when I can do nothing about them. This prayer has calmed my heart and entered in God's peace so frequently. Lord, I give these people and these problems back to you. You're the one that's in control. And tomorrow when I wake up, if you want me to do something about about them, give me wisdom to do it. Or in Matthew 9. A woman comes up to Jesus that had had the, uh, the issue of blood for 12 years, which made her unclean, which meant she, no one could touch her or they would be unclean, which meant she lived outside of the city. It was just a tough life for her. Can you imagine 12 years, not able to touch anyone, not able to even go to your own house, just ostracized and push, pushed out of all community. She was unlovable and untouchable, and Jesus sees her, and he calls her with the most tenderest term calls her daughter and in a moment her soul feels this awareness of the love of God for her and maybe it didn't happen for you that way but have you heard in your very soul God speak over to you you are my child you are my son you are my daughter whom I love and whom I'm well pleased in Mark 8 there's this crazy story I was talking to Jason about this week Uh, Jason and Jamie Jesus heals this blind guy in two stages have you ever seen this I'd never seen this until I read it this week. I mean, I think I'd read it, but it never really stuck out to me. Well, he heals this guy's eye. He hawks a loogie and, and puts it in the guy's eye and says, which is weird just in itself of all the ways that you could heal. Um, and he says, well, what do you see? And the guy says, well, I see these like blurry things like trees walking around. And you're like, you immediately think like, what happened? Did Jesus, did Jesus shoot a brick? That he just, he tried and it just didn't, didn't work out? Gutter ball? No, then, then he touches him again. And he was healed completely. I was thinking about that. Why did, why did he do it that way? And this is why I think. I think it's to give us a picture of how he clears our spiritual vision. When he first comes into our life, we see some basic spiritual truths. And we begin to obey those and walk in that direction. I'm sure maybe it happened to you that way. <clears throat> Paul says, we, we see through a, a window dimly, he says. 
we can kind of see what God's doing. We can kind of see some spiritual truths, but a lot of it we just have to trust God's heart because we don't see. But as we walk with him, in the course of walking with him and reading his word and doing life in community, we begin, we begin to see more clearly. Any of these things ever happen to you? This is, what, this is what John is saying. This is how we can know that we can experience the miracles of God as he works in our heart to prove that he's the bread of life that really satisfied, to prove that he's the one that gives real spiritual vision, to prove that you can be loved and known and you don't have to pose or put on your best face for him. This is koinonia. This is this experiential word. As you experience these things, you gain greater confirmation. Remember, this is about the assurance that their faith is genuine, that it's all true, that you have fellowship with the Father. Here's, it might be a little, here's, what, he, here's what he's saying. The Holy Spirit of God gives you an innate sense of God in which the truth about Jesus starts to make sense to you. It's like he gives you ears to hear the voice of God. The voice has always been speaking, but suddenly you get ears to hear. And suddenly the words of God in, God's, in the scriptures begin to leap out at you. Jesus says in John 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. People ask, well, why do you believe in God? And I want to say, why don't you? You don't, you don't hear his voice? You don't, you don't see the grandeur of the universe and just be in awe and think, man, God is incredible at what he can create. Don't you see all the evidence? It's all right there. The weakness is not in the evidence. The evidence is all there. The weakness is in our heart to see the evidence. This is why Paul prays for the church that the eyes of their heart would be opened or enlightened, that they would be able to see the truth that has always been true. They just couldn't see it. Remember when God appeared to Saul, who would later be, uh, who would later be called Paul and be one of the greatest missionaries the world has ever seen? And how Jesus spoke to him through this bright light. Everyone saw the light, but only Paul saw, then Paul heard the voice of God. And that's a bit what this conversion is like. That Jesus has made manifest and he's come in proximity, in humility to give us his presence. But not everybody sees it. Until God gives you the gift of faith. The right kind of glasses looking through faith that you're able to actually see him. So what John is saying here, that if you're a Christian, there's a first-hand, spirit-given knowledge of God. God begins to come alive to you, and he speaks to you. Now, side note, I, I'm not talking about God speaking new information to your heart. Do you see in verse 3, John says that the word of life is made manifest. The genuine experience with God, koinonia, real fellowship, is the word of the gospel coming alive in your heart. There's a difference between knowing all the things and believing with conviction all the things. There's a difference between knowing that God says, hey, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to call you as friends. I'm going to adopt you in my family. I'm going to give you heirs to the, you're going to be heirs to the kingdom. You're going to have a seat at the table. It's one thing for us to know that mentally, theologically. It's another thing for us to feel the love of God, to feel that position. This is what the gospel coming alive through the gift of faith does. And the spirit is the one that illuminates it. 
A genuine experience with God, fellowship, is the manifestation, or maybe you could translate it the magnification, of the word of life in your heart. You begin to feel it and understand it and know it's true. It's not the new words the Spirit speaks, but a, greatest, a greater awareness of the old words. In essence, the cross becomes larger. Your sin gets more real. God's grace gets sweeter. My dad used to pastor a church down in South Louisiana. And uh, they had uh, just kind of traditional Baptist church. And they had a rotation of deacons that would read the scripture and pray. And uh, every time he would get up, I don't remember the guy's name. Every time he would get up, he would just weep. Because the sting of his sin was so real to him. And the sweetness of God's forgiving grace was so real to him. This is what happens. The cross becomes larger, our sin gets more real, and God's grace gets sweeter. The old words of life press into our heart, and they, they become new to us. This is why when we read Scripture, things jump out like we've never seen them before. We've read them a hundred times, but the Spirit's application to them in us paints a clearer picture of the love of God for us. The Spirit of God makes the gospel real to us. It comes alive. It takes on depth. I heard one author describe it like a married couple who's walking along. When suddenly the husband sweeps his wife up, squeezes her tight, kisses her on the lips, and tells her that he loves her. They were no less married before he did that, but her sense of his love is more real and more felt at that moment. And this is what John's getting at. This Jesus in proximity made manifest to us. The manifestation happens first at conversion where grace becomes more real. I've told you the story about Susanna Wesley. This great woman who uh, just was so disciplined. She would pull the big apron up over her head. She had a dozen kids running around her house and when the apron was over her head you couldn't talk to mom because she's spending time with God well one of those kids was John Wesley who became this this great preacher in in the great awakening he described his conversion in one of his books he went to church and evidently I don't know if the pastor was there or not that day but this is what he writes exactly at about quarter past nine, the, uh, the, the pastor was reading from Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. This is not phenomenal preaching. He's just reading it. Can you imagine if there's ever a time to go to sleep in church, it's probably then. And he described the change which God worked in his heart through faith in Christ. He says, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I saw that Christ had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. That he had this, this experience with God where the words of God's truth became alive to him. For you parents, I think, I think it's next week that I'm teaching back there. And I'm teaching about this very thing of salvation. Leading your kids to salvation in the, in the equipping class. But this is what we're looking for, right? We want to see the gospel go from just things that we teach them about to really grab their heart. For them to make it personal, my sins. 
That shows that the Holy Spirit's really at work. Happens first at conversion, but then it continues for the rest of your life. This idea of koinonia, fellowship, is the entire point of Christianity. God just didn't create you to memorize doctrines and master spiritual disciplines. He created you to love you and to walk with you. Maybe that's one of the reasons that Christianity gets so boring and tiring and people get so grumpy because they're just trying to live out the doctrines and imitate righteous behavior. And there's no real joy in walking with God. I'll tell you, there is more life in a glimpse of the glory of God than in all the glories of the world. And when your heart becomes convinced of that, yearn it and seek it. It's offered to you. It's what you were created for. To know God, to love God, to walk with God. Last week we talked about in Hebrews that God rewards those who diligently seek after him. So this leads me to a very practical question as we try to bring some application. Where can you find experiences like this? That your heart would come alive. Here's a few encourages Encouragements for me. One, put yourself in the presence of God's word. John ties the activity of God to the word of God. So if you want God to make himself manifest to you, don't get alone. Don't go, don't go off by yourself and just listen to your heart. That's, 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 that's going to be destructive. You have to position yourself in a place where you're hearing the God's, God's word preached and taught and read. As a matter of fact, if you're not a believer in here, my challenge to you is to put yourself under God's word. It's teaching, it's reading, meet a friend for coffee. It's the best way to see who God really is. Do you want to have this experience like John Wesley? Put yourself under the word like he did. Maybe it's just a curiosity at this point, but come back and listen to taste and see, as the psalmist would say. And if you're a Christian and you're trying to get a friend of yours to see the truth, get them in the presence of God's word. Just ask them if you could read two or three verses with them on on your lunch break or or whatever it is. got to get them around God's word. God's word is living and active. It works, friends. Martin Luther said the Bible's like a caged lion. If someone doesn't believe the lion is real, don't stand there and try to defend the lion verbally. Just open the cage. This is the word of God. Maybe you invite your friends here or to coffee or to your house. Do something that revolves around reading God's word. Now, listen, I'm not against all the books and the Christian books, but there's so much power just in the word of God that you would read it and discuss it and let it read you. There's something powerful. One of our strategies of our our missionaries that we've partnered with is just to get God's word into the hands of the people. You may remember this. You've been with us a long time, 12 years ago. Our very first mission offering, we were going to take up to finish the Bible translation of the New Testament into a language that people could understand and then put it on these little audio devices. And we, we sacrificed and we raised all this money and we gave it to them and they finished the translation and we all cheered and celebrated. Then they got the audio devices and that was a big deal for us. Y'all remember that time? We got all these people, they're passing it out, working in the fields, growing tea, got these audio devices and this village that takes five days just to get to and they got the devices and they begin to play and they begin to hear God's word and I remember one of the missionaries coming here and say listen uh, uh, we know of of these like you know million and a half people we only know of like one or two actual actual believers 
And we're thinking, man, this is impossible until you get God's word in their hands. And then we started getting reports, maybe a year later, maybe two years later, of all these people who are coming to faith and these little churches that are being, are being started and they're being persecuted and they're moving down river and starting their own tribe and just incredible all around the word of God. If you're a believer, you need to put yourself in the presence of God's word. God cannot manifest in your heart until the word of, uh, until the word of life is around you. You're hearing it. You're reading it. You're encountering it. Here's five just quick encouragements from, from your pastor. And then we're going to wrap up. One, make walking with God a priority. When I, when I, was, when I was growing up, we, we, we called it a quiet time with God, which is a terrible name because nothing sounds more boring to a teenager than just a quiet time. And then uh, the youth ministry, our youth pastor gave us the power pack. Remember the power pack? Jason's face is in the power pack. It's testifying that God works in power when you read it. Um, <clears throat> and it was all about the quiet time. And some pastors call it a chair time. And some people call it a God date. I don't care what you call it. Just, just do it. Every day, spend time with God. Let me just tell you just real quickly. This is just, here's how I like to do it. I think you can do it in, in 21 minutes. And if you've got longer, take longer. But if you've got 21 minutes, I think you can do this. I think you, you take the passage of Scripture, and I'm not, not knocking on our reading plans, but I'm almost always in the Gospels or in one of the Psalms, and I just read two or three verses really slowly, and then I read it again really slowly, and then I read it a third time really slowly. And I say, God, speak to me through your word. And almost always... Second or third time reading through that really slowly, just something just jumps out at me. It's either conviction of sin or just this encouragement that I'm his son and that he loves me or whatever it is. And then, and then the next seven minutes, I just kind of write those things down. And I'm just, it's just this prayer of repentance and devotional and sorry, God, I've been forgetting the gospel here and there. And I did it next. And then the last seven minutes, I just pray the scripture that I read back to God. I just pray the scripture back to God. God, help me see you as in this passage. Help, help me see you be made manifest. Help me remember that you offer eternal life. Father, help me walk in fellowship with you and fellowship with I just pray God's word back to him. 21 minutes. Let me promise you, if you put yourself under the word of God like that, and you begin to write out some of those things that he's telling you, and you walk in obedience, and we don't have time to go through the whole Kairos circle, but, that, but that's the thing. Ask Jason about it. He'd love to draw it for you. And then, and, then, and then pray these words back to God. Let me promise you, he's going to do some incredible things. A lot of you say, I don't, feel, I don't really feel or hear the voice of God. It's because you're not being submitted to God's word and allowing him to actually speak to you. Secondly, that you should, you should practice memorizing scripture. You know, we have the Bible, and I'm, I'm a 42-year-old man who's walked with Jesus for a long time, and I still work at memorizing Scripture. You know what I'm so thankful for? I'm so thankful that my parents instilled Scripture in me. We always had these things. My dad would always sing these corny songs about he would just make them up on the spot, but I could still sing. I'm not going to sing them to you, but I, could, I, I know them today. And even before I was a believer, I was learning these scripture. And you would say, well, what, well why, do you, why do you make kids who don't even believe in our scripture? Because it's seeds. We're just sowing seeds. We're sowing seeds of the gospel. And one day, so true in my life, one day I do come to Christ. I remember six, when I was 16 year old, I was really wrestling with this, like, my parents' faith, faith and my faith. And 
these words that I had learned when I was three and four and five just began to go off like fireworks in my heart. And I remembered, I remembered, and the Holy Spirit began to show it. You ever looked at one of those? This was real popular when I was uh, when I was a teenager, these, like, uh, these 3D pictures where you couldn't see it, and then if you looked real weird, you tilted your eye a little bit, you're like, oh, it's a dinosaur. Y'all, y'all remember those? Nobody remembers those? They sold them at Gadzooks. No, nobody remember those posters? Or Gadzooks. It's, it's cool. I repented after I left that store. It's fine. I did. <clears throat> they had these pictures, and most people would just fake it. They'd be like, oh, I see it now, and they did not see it, right? But this is what the Spirit does when you memorize God's Word, and He like, makes it alive to you right when you need it. I remember, I remember just several months ago, I'm in this passage on forgiveness. In, in 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he'll, he'll forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And I was like, God, why do I need that? I, I know you do that. Thank you for that. And, and the next day, just a mess of life hit me. And I didn't respond well. And then I was mad at myself. And then I thought I lost all the power of God. And who are these people to listen to me talk? And then God just... Holy Spirit illuminated verse. God, God brings forgiveness. This is what he does. I encourage you to memorize scripture. You don't have to do long passages, just short ones that you can really fight with and make it around your dinner time or sometime. I know Jason's talking about some of those practices. Memorize scripture. Pray these scriptures back to God. I've already told you kind of how we do that. That's the third thing. Pray the scriptures back to God. Fourth, can I encourage you to get in a small group? We at our church, we call them missional communities, but it doesn't matter what you call them. It's just a trusted group of friends who will listen to you, will share burdens with you, and will gospel you. You know, sometimes it's hard for us to see the forest for the trees because we're in the middle of it, and we need, we need a group of friends around us, whether you go to church with them or not. You just need trusted friends who will speak the gospel, speak the words of life back to you. And they'll remind you when you're down or discouraged, when you're wrestling with something, when you're forgetting that you're actually part of God's family, they'll, they'll be the ones that speak God's word back to you. Friends, this is not like an extra thing in Christianity. This is what Christians do. And if you don't have those relationships, I beg you to find those relationships and make it work. It's always awkward coming to a group and you don't know the people and they meet on the wrong nights and you got 18 vegetarians in there. Who wants to share a meal with 18 vegetarians and you just want ribs and bacon? I understand. It's, it's, part of it. it's happened in my group before. Here's a vegetarian frittata. I was like, thank you. We'll give that to the dog. Who brought, I'm kidding, all the vegetarians, God does love you. I'm not sure if he likes you, but he does love you. This is where the handoff happens. When the brain can't get into this, like Paul calls us a body, right? And so if my ear itches, somewhere in my brain, it sends a signal to my right hand to scratch my right ear. You see, that's what happens. Another member of the body actually meets the need of the ear. This is the same way it works in God's body. That you have a need in your life, and God has not even given you the ability to meet that need. Because he wants you to be dependent upon the other brothers and sisters. This is just how God does it. It's how he thought thought it up. So God supernaturally empowers another brother or sister to hear your cry for help or your need, or may I need some stuff here, and then, and then the, other, the, the other brother or sister steps in boldness and obedience through the power of the Spirit and meets your need. And both of you, your faith and thankfulness grows to God 
Because he's the one who opens up his hands and satisfies the desires of everything. But it happens in community. Now, growing up for me, you know, we were at a traditional church. That was a Sunday school class. That, that's, that's a great way. As long as you're going deeper and really knowing people. That's the point. Knowing people. Being honest with them. Really honest. You know, we talk a lot about accountability partners. And, man, y'all going to hate me for this. <clears throat> we talk a lot about accountability partners. And I'm just not sure, if I'm real honest with you, how many more accountability partners we need. Because accountability is just you singling out who you're going to lie to. Will you be my accountability partner? Okay, he's the one I got to lie to. Oh, yeah, I've been in the Word, bro. I've been, I've been doing the thing. You know what you really need? You really need a spirit-filled friend that you can just be really honest with. And they can point you back to the gospel. And they can point you back to the gospel. More than that, you need a group of friends that you can just point each other back to the gospel. Get in a group that will do that for you. Lastly, and then, then we're done. Become an expert at applying the scripture to the deep and broken parts of your life. Become an expert at applying scripture. This is why I love that we're doing this in equipping. We're doing kids. We did marriage. We'll do finances. We did, we've talked about finances before. This is why we encourage you to go see um, a real therapist that loves Jesus because they can get in the mud and the muck with you and they can apply God's word to very deeply broken parts of you. Most of us skate through all of life without ever dealing with the broken stuff. But the broken stuff, the dead stuff in our lives, eventually the smell of that is going to come out. And you need friends that are going to love you through that and help apply God's word to you. You need a good Christian counselor who loves you enough to speak truth to you. You need some friends who love you. You need a pastor who will sit down with you and let you talk it all out. And then they will apply the gospel in that situation to you. Friends, this is not about posing and putting on some face and just doing all the right things. This is about fellowship with God. And in this passage, it's not just fellowship with God, it's fellowship with one another. Here's the fourth, the, the fourth point. I'm wrapped up, I'm over time. Proclamation. Presence, humility, proximity, proclamation. Not only did the presence of God directly dignify all that's human, but he was the voice of God calling people to respond in repentance and faith. And we carry the same invitation too. Look at it in verse 3 again. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and the Son. That phrase that you too may have fellowship. With us and with the Father. That you too, this is the proclamation of the kingdom of God. So good, so transforming. And we want you to experience it too. Is there a name? If I would say, nothing would make me happier than if fill in the name knew Jesus like I do. Nothing would make me happier if fill in the name. If they knew Jesus. You know, God has sent you to experience the gospel and to proclaim the gospel. This is why Jesus came. This is what John's talking about. That you too may know. Aren't you glad someone joined the search and rescue team for you? Maybe as a Sunday school teacher or a youth pastor or a neighbor or a friend. Or maybe you had godly parents that introduced you to the fact that the God of the universe loves you.
Maybe it was a teammate or a coach or a teacher or a friend. Someone invited you in, shared the gospel with you, gave you a Bible, took you to a judgment house, loved you through, insider joke, loved you through difficulty, even when you didn't deserve it. Isn't this our story? Aren't you glad someone was on the search and rescue team for you? And we leave even this one little passage with that on our heart. Fellowship is the point of Christianity. Do you know him, friends? You can start today. Are there people in your life that you might invite to know him better? To taste and see that he's good? It starts with the gospel. Pray that God would give you the eyes of faith. That you would be able to see him through his word. And then commit to getting yourself under and around the words of life. I'm going to pray for us. And you can just pray right there where you're at. I'm going to pray over you. And then we're going to take communion. And then Jason will uh, lead us through the last part. But God, would you, would you speak to our hearts, our minds, every part of us? Lord, I believe some people have just been playing games for a really long time. They, they have no idea what I'm talking about, the power that comes through faith. Lord, today, could they step from death to life? Would you do that in them? And others are just way down under a heavy burden because they've just been hiding their sin and they've been blaming others. God, would you set them free today? As they just bring all their junk to you and say, God, I'm tired of striving. I'm tired of hiding. I'm tired of playing these religious games. I'm just going to bring it all to you. Maybe, maybe that's the decision you would day, make today. Others... Maybe you need to get a group of trusted friends and you need to tell them, you need to invite them in to speak truth to you. And you need to put it on the calendar where you're going to meet weekly so that they can speak, you can speak truth to one another and love each other and have fun together. Maybe that's a step you take today. God, I love you. I thank you for the fellowship we have with you and the fellowship we have with other family members in this room. That we can have real joy today that our joy can be made complete because of our walk with you and our relationship with others it's in jesus name we pray amen i want you to take plenty of time to pray the communion stations are up front and in the back and communion is just a outward expression of an inward reality we take the bread we remember the body of jesus and the blood representing i mean the the, the drink representing his blood you don't have to be a member of Covenant Church, but you do have to be part of God's family. If you've ever placed your faith and trust in Him, I invite you to participate. Before that, I just want you to take some time right your seat and pray. Ask the Holy Spirit to put His finger on one thing in your life today. Maybe it's a step of obedience. It's a prayer of repentance. It's a relationship that needs to be restored. Just Holy Spirit, what's the one thing? Maybe it's somebody you need to pray for. You need to go share the gospel with. You need to invite to a coffee. What's the one thing, Holy Spirit? ready you come and take and remember your identity as dearly loved sons and daughters of God.